Here we are, the last episode for 2022. Hi there, I'm Ted Asfurgadu, and this is the Planet LP Podcast, episode 66. It's a place where we drop the needle on a world of albums and songs, and boy, do we have a retrospective for you. 2022 was a year that turned out to be surprisingly good as far as music is concerned. Thankfully, Keith Creighton is here, and has been here every month, to bring a truckload of new music to recommend to you. I know for me, it's been wonderful to get his suggestions. I've been able to expand my listening to include bands and artists that I don't think I would have glommed onto without Keith being an evangelist for some of these bands. So the two of us are going to conclude the year with our top tens. For you, dear listener, you'll get 20 songs or albums that you may want to add to your ever-evolving playlists or to your wish lists that you can get in physical form. As always, you can follow us on the socials on Groupie. We're at Planet LP. The same with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's The Planet LP. And if you're a band, artist, or music writer whose work you'd like to spotlight on Planet LP, send me an email at ted at planetlp.com. And since you're already listening to me, can you help Planet LP out? Just tell other music fans in your personal network about our podcast and tell them to give us a listen and a follow. We're on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Okay, let's count down the top 10 from 2022 with Keith Creighton. Man, oh man, it's been quite a year, and I'm grateful that fellow PopDose colleague Keith Creighton has made time to come on the podcast every month to talk all about new music he buys on Compact Disc. Yes, CD. So here we are with our final episode for 2022 to talk about our top tens for the year. Hi there, Keith, and thanks so much for being on the pod for the entire year and for our new music retrospective episode. Oh my God, I'm such an honor to be the last one for 2022 with a finale. <laughs> I'm honored to have you. Before we get into our top tens, though, you had a couple of things that you wanted to spotlight, like a, a quick capsule summary of the year in review and a, a couple of things that will help us get into our top ten. So what did this year look like in terms of music? Well, that's overall? interesting because, yeah, the more I was trying to think about it as we were trying to prepare for the podcast, like, okay, what were the defining moments? You know, like what was our live aid, you know, for that defined music for the, you know, 2022? And the sad mm -hmm. thing is there really wasn't much in terms of music, like records that came and kind of galvanized the nation, that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, right. I look at the biggest news stories related to music. You know, and it was all about loss, you know, and loss has been kind of a prevalent theme in our lives since the yeah. COVID pandemic. Right. But the biggest stories were the deaths of Taylor Hawkins, Takeoff, Christine McVie, and a bunch of other major artists, you know, that we lost this year. And probably the defining musical moment, for me at least, were the Taylor Hawkins tribute concerts in Los Angeles and London that brought together people from youth cultural all the way through classic rock icons got together on stage to honor him. So to me, that was the defining kind of musical moment of the year. So was that yeah. kind of the Live Aid moment in a way? It just you know, not, not as big as Live Aid, but this was like the biggest... Uh, live performance to to honor somebody and so many people came together to to do that that made you realize what a influence taylor hawkins had on all these musicians some were legacy acts some were newer acts but overall he had, he had worked well with all these folks 
Yeah. And there were so many because there were, you know, young people like Kesha and, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mark Ronson, but probably not. Oh, actually, then Violet Grohl, teenager Mm -hmm. there and stuff like that. So I think there was a good spanning of the generations, you know, because there was members of Queen and Led Zepp and Tenders all there. And so it was pretty amazing to get that grew together but also part of it was like okay there were a lot of elder statesmen there and as you're watching them on stage you realize we don't have much time left with a lot of them Mm -hmm. and so it merely i think a lot of this just helped me to realize time is precious time is fragile and fleeting and stuff and really kind of cherishing the moments that we have talk about kanye west for a moment Oh, geez. Because that was another <laughs> thing about loss. I mean, loss of yeah. sanity, loss of sponsorships, potentially the loss of his music career. Because I know there's a lot of people that try to separate because Kanye's music means so much to them mm-hmm. that, okay, I'm going to listen to the music. I'm not going to worry about the man, you know. But then there's certain acts like R. Kelly where you can't go back. And R. Kelly tried sneaking a new album out this week. It's interesting to see, but, you know, it's like, okay, where do you hold your love of music versus perhaps your disdain for the person it'll be interesting to see but i think that that whole thing has been sad because like the other the biggest other big music of news of the year was the Ticketmaster fiasco with taylor swift Ticketmaster kind of revealing their cards that they do really encourage not only this flexible tier pricing based on demand sends the ticket prices up but also really supports the aftermarket because Ticketmaster has a cut in the aftermarket And so it's just, it's making it really hard for, because back in the day we would camp out and get tickets, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember remember sleeping all night for Prince and it was so much fun because you're there with the community Mm -hmm. and sad that those days don't exist anymore. I was telling my daughter about that. I said, back in the day, people would literally camp out overnight. She goes, weren't they afraid of being attacked? I said, no, because there's all the fans are there. There's tons of people. It's not just a smattering. It's a lot of people lined up waiting for tickets. You're singing. Everyone brought food. You know, right. everyone would kind of cover your spot in line while you ran around the corner to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it, <Yes>. was, <laughs> it was a more innocent time. Yeah, it was uh, definitely people were there not to cause trouble, but just to celebrate upcoming live performance and and buy the tickets and try to get the best seats they possibly could. And knowing that back then, even Ticketmaster would charge their their fees, the fees weren't like they are now. It's almost like you're buying one ticket for the price of two because of the fees that get tacked on. It's a lot of money to go see a show now. And I just don't know if, you know, maybe that's just as me, I'm getting old, but I just don't know if it's worth it. Yeah. Is it worth yeah. 500 or or $1,000 for a wow. two-hour entertainment experience where you're not even close to the stage? You yeah, know? And so, not for me. The other big news story, at least, or at least the music news story about the release of Taylor Swift's Midnight's this year, you're a little bit tepid on that one. You were like, it's okay. It's got some good songs, but I don't like the fact that she's not really singing on this. That's what you, that was kind of your, your capsule summary of, of your experience with the album. Has that changed at all? No, it's one of those things where, and you'll notice in my list that we're about to talk about, spoiler alert, there's going to be no Taylor Swift, no Beyonce. <laughs> You know, because Beyonce kind of wound up either at the top of or in the top 10 of almost every list. I I think I've checked out like 30 plus, you know, best album lists from different media. And the two kind of concurrent themes that I've noticed is almost everybody louds Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, BTS, and then even people like Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. have this status, their icon status is so huge that media is not critical of them. And if you dare say something bad about them, the fans pounce on you. 
They yeah, will flood yeah, your social media. Right. They will destroy you. You know, like kind of like, okay, if you have the name army in your fan base name, you know, you were in trouble. <laughs> the kiss army was never really like that. I think, that I they know. Were kind of, you know, but I get what you, I get your point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you see what the BTS army can do and stuff like that. And I remember getting, you know, ruffling the feathers of the Adam Lambert fan base back in the day, because I had the audacity to like, one of those unauthorized recordings, you know, that mm-hmm. he did before he was famous and his fan base destroyed me. Wow. They found every social media hook that they could and pummeled me, you know, Jeez. with like, how dare you promote something that Adam didn't authorize? Whoa, you know, so now, you, you know, know why people don't want to be critics anymore because you can't oh, yeah. honestly appraise something or even sing its praises or say, you know, highlighted its shortcomings without the, the kind of, angry mob mentality that will come after you. We're going to get into new music, but you wanted to spotlight a couple of great reads that are going to kind of frame our top tens. One just came out this week in the Telegraph. It's called There's More Great Music Than Ever, So Why Are We Not Listening To It? And Mm -hmm. it was a really good deep dive because we've talked on the podcast, you know, how these hedge funds are buying up the catalogs of all these major artists. Yeah. Right. You know, 300 million for this, 100 million for that. Even Izzy Azalea, you know, just sold her catalog. I mean, she just started. She's had one hit and it was written by Charlie XCX, but she's cashed out. Really? She says she never has to work again. You know, she's probably not even 30. These hedge funds are going to want to get a return on their investment. You know, you're going to see a lot of younger artists sampling and doing covers of classic tunes because those, you know, they need to keep those head, those catalogs generating sales. But also the Telegraph was saying that a majority, when you look at the sales, not only album sales and streams, but also concert tickets are dominated by dinosaur acts because that's where people are going. That's where their comfort food is. And that ties into mm-hmm. a great article and podcast on Pitchfork called The Scientific Benefits of Listening to New Music, you know, where they talk about comfort food, you know, musical comfort food hits your dopamine centers quicker. And so therefore, especially during the pandemic, more people were listening to old classic music than they were discovering new music because it hits that dopamine center and it brings the joy and the comfort and the overall ooziness of warmth. You know, when you hit something Mm -hmm. that you love and you've already had the neural pathway to enjoy and appreciate it, versus new music, which you have to form a neural pathway to like it. And that's why certain songs that you might not really absorb at first, you might not like them as much. But then as you get to know it and you play it all more and more often, you're going to like it more and more and more. And they have a very great in this article, and I highly recommend people finding it, an historical story about back in the, you know, the composer era where a composer dared do something so different that the first performance of it, people literally threw stuff at the stage and started (laughs) rioting because they hated it because they were expecting to get a traditional symphony. But yet as the third, fourth, fifth, and seventh performance of it, it became almost like sold out where people couldn't wait to get in there. And it's now regarded as one of the greatest symphonies ever made. We're going to talk on this list about a lot of new bands that you may not have heard of And therefore, you might be a little resistant at first, but we highly recommend as you get to know it, you might actually like it. And that's why, you know, we talk about I buy all of these records on CD because unlike streaming, which you if you don't like it immediately, you could just click to the next thing and never hear it again. Mm -hmm. But if I spend 13 bucks on an album, I'm going to go revisit it throughout the year because I want to get my money's worth. And there's a lot of these titles that I didn't really like at first that 
once I started really listening to them, they became one of my favorites ever. So something about owning something and really kind of investing in the artist, and then you get that payoff, you know, long-term. So that's what we're going to talk about them, at least in my top 10. Okay, so let's get started with our picks for songs, which for me, it's mostly songs and albums that made our top 10. So Keith, you get to go first with your number 10. Okay. So when I realize, you know, you know, when you're watching crime procedurals and then they mm-hmm. go into that room and there's the, you know, the yarn all over the wall that connects all the dots to kind of <laughs> yeah. solve a crime yeah. or a whiteboard. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I noticed as I did my top 10 organically, you know, cause I, you know, had like, I think I bought like 75 discs this year. There was a couple titles that yeah didn't come out on CD that I streamed and that's fine. But when I kind of connected the dots, I realized each of these top tens kind of connect the dots to a, a lot of the other titles in my top 50. So I'm going to kind of talk about those kind of almost collectively, but also then why I chose the particular title. So okay. my first one, Beba Doobie, Beatopia. She's another rising artist. We've talked about her throughout the year because not only of her influence on other artists, she's going to be touring as part of that Taylor Swift tour. So a lot of people are going to really, I think she's going to go from underground artist and kind of critical darling to mainstream when she starts touring with Taylor Swift on the Eras tour. So this was a radical, and this once again, goes back to what we're talking about with new music. Her last album was very nineties rock. You know, so Mm -hmm. I can see why I was attracted to it. Very guitar, you know, that just whole 90s kind of indie rock scene. And so I could see why I gravitate to it because I love 90s music. And so therefore it was like, okay, this is new. It's something familiar and comforting. And so I could see why I attached to it. This one is very much dreamy. It's very loose. It's very out there in terms of not having really kind of recognizable hooks you know, not hum along, sing along choruses or anything like that. But as you kind of get to know the entire experience, it's really beautiful and it's challenging and it takes you into it. You know, it's almost like very dream logic. You're listening to something and all different kinds of images come into your mind and different kind of moods. And it's danceable here and it's a little bit rocky here and it's a very ballady here. And so it just, it was a fascinating record. Kind of like led a pack of boundary pushers because we also talked about Luna Lee who's also marries all different kinds of styles into a genre that you really can't peg into any particular genre. And then also other, you know, kind of critical darlings like wet leg, you know, was in a lot of top tens this year. Definitely. Very wry, ironic indie rock. And then also pillow Queens, which is one of my favorites, kind of a full queer act out of Ireland. Really, really loved that style too. So my number 10 album of the year is Beba Doobie, Beatopia. And I said I was going with songs, so my first song on the top 10 is the latest by Metallica called Lux Eterna. Now, I have to give Bay Area Homeboys Metallica some love for this pretty aggressive single from their upcoming album called 72 Seasons. It's slated to come out next year in April, and April 14th is the date. The rhythm reminds me of Bad Boys Get Spanked by Pretenders. Now, you're talking about neural pathways. What kind of gives you that dopamine yeah, rush? Yeah, there's a connection. Yeah. So when I hear that, I'm all like, wow, that sounds just like the same kind of driving rhythm of the pretenders. But for a bunch of guys who, let's face it, they're on the cusp of turning 60. This track really rocks. I'm not a big fan of the band. And I know that might be heresy. Maybe I risk the Metallica army coming after me, but I do like how they just 
absolutely go for it on this tune. It may not be a classic, but it makes my top 10 for sheer ferocity. So number 10, Metallica, Lux Eterna. Because Metallica was a key part, just like Kate Bush on the new Stranger Things season, Mm -hmm. that uh, Master of Puppets anchors the amazing, it's not in my soundtrack, or it's not in my top 10 because it's a soundtrack, but the Stranger Things 4 soundtrack was one of the greatest discs of the year. It inspired me to, you know, here I am, you know, I saw Metallica in 1989 because I was a fan of the cult. And so I went to see that tour and loved the show, but have never bought Metallica. And this year, after the Stranger Things thing, I bought the full Metallica catalog on CD. Wow. Because okay. Amazon had it, you know, dirt cheap. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to pass up titles that are this cheap, you know, because what I were they, what, were they pay, what were they charging per, per album? Was like eight like- to $10 each. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to just get a you know, little pack of all the classic ones since I bought everything up to the Black Album. So the debut mm-hmm. up to the Black Album. You didn't Once buy again, Lulu, did you? No, I stopped. <laughs> Everyone kind of said, stop at the Black Album, you know, oh in terms God. of you're just getting going. That one but, they, they did with Lou Reed, that was so yeah. unlistable. Oh my God. I deleted it out of my iTunes library when I, after I, I listened to it like twice. I was like, no, no. I got it's turn really it weird because Lou Reed, quick aside here, has two of the albums that I think are most associated with unlistenable, you know, mm-hmm. with the metal machine music and right, you know, the right. Lulu. And then Lulu, yeah. Yeah, that was so, crazy. Yeah, so let's go with your number nine. It's probably not Metallica. There you go. Yeah, here's <laughs> like, let's ram the gears here. So my next one is Fletcher, Girl of My Dreams. Really beautiful. This is the girl that has the single Becky So Hot, you know, kind oh, of talking right, about lusting right, yeah. after the girl that your girlfriend dumped you for. And so what I really love about Fletcher, she's a young artist. So she is, as we kind of were talking about, it's hard for young artists to really kind of make a bankable career with the kind of the dinosaurs in the room, sucking up all the sales and tour money. And so it was really great to see her have a sold out tour. The Becky so hot was a big hit. And I just love how there's more and more queer artists that are getting mainstream success, you know, cause there's a lot of things where you could be queer, but then do you bring queer themes into your songs and does that alienate the mainstream and Fletcher right, is proving right. that it doesn't. You know, and another one is Haley Kiyoko, you know, who you could do proud queer theme songs that are also have this, it's all about love and relationships and the complexity of it all. And so it does have that universal appeal to love how they are finding mainstream success and still being completely true to themselves and not hiding at all. You know, kind of when I paired that with Gail, who has the A, B, C, D, E, F, U song Mm -hmm. that my kid turned me on to. Yeah. And that song just got nominated for a Grammy. Gail put out two CDs, A Study of Human Experience, Volume 1 and 2, and they are really, really good. And so is the new Sabrina Carpenter. And I think it was called Emails I Can't Send. You know, she was the girl that was the other side of the conversation in, yeah, Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license. Yeah, Yeah, she was the blonde that the guy ran off with at the song. And so Sabrina had her chance on this album to kind of give her side of the story. I look at all of these artists and they had amazing years this year. And so I'm just so happy for them that, A, women are doing some of the most exciting stuff in all of music in any genre. And to see queer voices kind of get elevated, um, I'm just so happy. So Fletcher, Girl of My Dreams, number nine. So number nine for me is the band Envy of None, but the song is Old Strings. It's This is the project that Alex Lifeson from Rush was part of. Lyricist and vocalist Maya Wynn. She really sounds like an old soul on this really meditative track. I thought the entire album was good overall. A little too polished in parts for me, but... 
Old Strings really hits all the right notes. It's a song to me that Billie Eilish wishes she had written. Old Ooh, that's a great quote. I really like the fact that uh, Alex Lifeson went completely in a different direction post-Rush uh, with this. And so I don't know if they're going to have any more records that they're going to do under this band name. But for my money, that song was enough to make the number nine because I, I did listen to it quite a bit. Yeah. And yeah. I just love, like, I, you know, I just think it's great that he did that kind of like mm-hmm. left turn because, you know, they always say, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Yeah. And so that he did something that was so youth oriented and so contemporary was amazing. It was one of my favorites. It's going to be in my top 25 for the year. Hey, it's a great album. So we'll go with your number eight next. Okay, now we're going to talk about protest albums, especially looking at what's happening in politics, looking at what's mm-hmm. happening with the war in Ukraine, looking at what's happening in Iran, you know, and especially now what's happening with the World Cup in terms of, oh, this is the machine that we are rising up against, you know, and you always need good songs and good bands and good albums to kind of help elevate the movement of protesting and resisting. So my favorite of all these was Flogging Molly's Anthem. Here's a band mm-hmm. that had been around for years and I had kind of lost touch with them doing the whole Irish punk thing. And so they put out an album called Anthem and man, it is exactly that. Every single song is a big, huge banger mixing punk rock with traditional Irish elements. Oh my God. It's just so euphoric and uplifting and inspiring to listen to it. And so it kind of led the pack of a bunch of other ones. Midnight Oil put out one mm-hmm. called Resist. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit more heavy-handed, but there's still some really good tracks on it. Another great one was the Dropkick Murphys, This Machine Still Kills Fascists. Yep, I did and like so that one. Yeah. It was all acoustic, and so Woody Guthrie did the lyrics, and then they created the songscapes for it. And then to a little, little bit of lesser point, we talked on a previous podcast about Gogo Bordello's Solidaritine, which was just a horribly mastered album, but there's still some good songs on there. And I saw a bunch of clips from this current tour, and yeah, they still have it. So if you have never seen Gogo Bordello live and you can catch them live in your city, oh my God, check them out. They're amazing. So um, Flogging Molly Anthem is my number eight, but leading the pack for a bunch of good protest records this year. The whole thing with ranking, you're kind of putting art, which shouldn't compete in a competitive situation because I think that's what we are. And I could see the appeal. I love top 10 lists. I mean, I grew up listening to American Top 40, so I sure, get sure. the experience, but there's so many albums that are worth mentioning that I'd love to kind of tag as many as I can. Well, maybe I could do my best Casey Kasem. Coming in at number eight is <laughs> 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 a song wrong. that was recommended to me by Keith Creighton. It's the band Manic Street Preachers, and it's still snowing in Sapporo. Oh, my God. Your enthusiasm, actually. Chris wants to give it up. You should take over that. (laughs) Your enthusiasm for this band got me to dig into this record, because I think this is one of the first albums that you recommended uh, in January or February. I can't remember which, but it was one of the first couple of episodes that you were on. So I thought, okay, I'll uh, I'll dig into this record. And I really like the first song, which is Still Snowing in Sapporo. Uh, the band kind of reminds me of The National, but when I go back and look and see how many times I listened to the album, this song was the one that I listened to a lot. So what can I say? Keith, you made me into a fan. Thank you. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That. And it's a deep well, but here's the thing. Definitely stream. You're out the Manic Street Preachers albums before mm-hmm. you buy them because each single 
album in their catalog is radically different than the one before. So there's some that are really, really beautiful and majestic, others that are really edgy, some that are really mm-hmm. kind of abrasive, but th- you know, they've been around for, I'd say what, 25 years now. Really yeah. great band to check out. So highly recommend that. I, I think your, your next pick is about a band that's been around for a long time, isn't it? Exactly. And that's the cult. You know, we talked about this more in detail on a previous podcast, but you know, the cult is one that, you know, started off in the Gothic realm, you know, Southern death cult. And then, you know, they're kind of pre fame stuff as a young kind of new waver, very hard on my sleeve, black mascara, the whole nine yards. The cult was the rockiest thing that I was into back in the day, but then they really went rock and roll. The electric album and kind of embracing the ACDC sound, which even though I love ACDC now, back then, that's what the people that bullied me listened to. And so I didn't like the harder stuff. That's that's my view of Tom Petty, because the kids that used to bully me in high school uh-huh. were like huge on Tom Petty and that whole Confederate battle flag or and all that on their trucks. And I'm like, nah, I don't really like Tom Petty. But early on in the podcast, I had uh, John Young and Michael Magali on talking about Petty, and I was like, yeah, I still don't really dig his music that much, but I get it that he finally realized that was not the right symbol to to embrace. Um, and I think maybe the cult decided, <laughs> for whatever reason, thought, you know, maybe we should go back to the love era. Maybe that might be something. But this this album actually, kind of the songs come out of that era, do they not? I don't know if they were written back in that era. You know, I've yeah. done a lot of research on it, but I, man, I just love that they've kind of come full circle because mm-hmm. my go-to albums are Dreamtime, Love, and Peace. You know, mm-hmm. Peace was the original mix of Electric before they went in that new direction. Peace really does connect with the first two albums better. And so, but it's definitely, it's kind of the same thing with when Prince went Love Sexy and it's in addition, instead of the Black album, you know, he had right, two different paths right. you could go. So they took the electric path, the off ramp, and then, you know, have had a good 20 plus year career. And there's moments on a lot of these other records that I really like, but you kind of see how they, each one kind of keeps progressing, but it goes full circle back to dream time. And so that's why Under the Midnight Sun is a very dark, majestic, beautiful record. And if you like those early, early songs, the early, early records, you know, I highly recommend Under the Midnight Suns. That's my number seven. Excellent. My number seven is on your list, but it's only a song from the band and it's the Linda Lindas and the song is, oh, (laughs) so what's not to like about this band, right? Seriously, I guess, I guess if you're not into pop punk, the Linda Lindas are really not your thing, but to quote my old partner in podcasting crime, that would be John Young. Come on, man. This band is absolutely an in-the-pocket fun band. For those of a certain age, and Keith, you talked about this earlier, you might remember when the Go-Go's came on the scene. Yeah. Well, to me, that's what the Linda Lindas are like. It's just They're like a breath of fresh air in an overproduced music landscape. So check out, oh, by the Linda Lindas. Yeah. And the nice thing is the Linda Lindas have a Go-Go's connection. You know, they actually mm-hmm. covered a Go-Go's song and then right. Gina Shock sat in with the band when one of the band members in the Linda Lindas had to, you know, couldn't make a concert. And so there's, um, you know, a full Go-Go's love fest going on there. But yeah, talk about the Linda Lindas more in detail later on in my list. But man, it is just such a fun band. And it's great to see these girls just getting all the much deserved success and being completely true to who they are. So we'll get to your number six. 
Okay, here we go. We talked about this one in the last one. Tuvalu, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, I know. used to call her Tovlo just because I that's think almost everyone in the, in the United States did. Probably even DJs are calling her. Here's the latest from Tovlo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Tuvalu. Tuvalu. Okay. Tuvalu. So <laughs> Dirt Femme is the the album. And so I just, you know, it's kind of in that Scandi pop, like Robin, you know, was also kind of big in mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. But also it's like, there's this polished kind of European dance pop sound, you know, kind of made popular by Goldfrap even back in the day with, you know, their Black Cherry record, you oh, know, that Gold really, Frap. you know, yeah. edgy beats, you know, like where the beats have a lot of meat to them, you know, and lots of color and it's really well produced. Tuvalu has been around quite some time now, I think. She's like nearing 10 years of her career. I think 2014, I think was maybe her first record. But then you got like Charlie XCX, Demi Lovato, Carly Rae mm-hmm. Jepsen, who had new albums out this year, Megan Trainer. They're all kind of around that decade point, you know, because I was trying to do comparison. Like Taylor mm-hmm. Swift and Lady Gaga have been around 16 and 14 years, respectively. So it's great to see all these formerly next big things that are really still putting out great music at the 10 year mark. And it kind of bodes well that they're going to have long-term careers. So I agree. Yeah, yeah. really, really love Dirt Femme. But then, yeah, check out the Charlie XCX, the Megan Trainer, the Carly Rae Jepsen records. They're really, really good. Okay. So my number six is Simprini. I had them on, or at least the drummer of the band, on an earlier episode. And they put out a record. And I picked two songs. This may be a bit of a cheat. But one is called Put Hands in Last, and the other one's called Best of You. And the other part of the cheat is that the band comes from Antioch, California, where I went to high school with two of the members of the band. Now, did it affect my choice of Best of 2022? Yes, of course it did. But I wouldn't recommend their music just because I know two of the members. I think this record is really good. But these two songs, to me, stood out. Put Hands in Last If you listen to the lyrics, it's kind of creepy, but the execution is very accomplished. Well, it's no surprise because these guys have been in the music business for a long time. They used to be in a band called Overwhelming Color Fast. That was their earlier incarnation, which had some pretty good uh, grungy traction. They opened uh, for a number of bands and they were doing that circuit back in the 90s. Bob Reed's vocals, he's the lead vocalist on this, uh, this group. His vocals on Best of You in the latter part of the song are truly soulful. And just as, as as an aside, Bob and I and Dan were all in high school together. Bob's a year older than I am. And he played Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof. So the guy can really sing. He, re, he sings very well. Yeah. So Semprini. Yeah. Nice. And that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, we've got the, well, a lot of times we'll have personal connections to bands. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's kind of great to, you know, kind of help them find bigger audiences. So I'm going to have to check that one out, you know, because I have a full list of Ted albums from this year that you've turned me on to. Yeah, Simprini's good. I mean, uh, I don't know if they're going to record anymore, but this was just sort of a a one-off thing. I think maybe they were coming out of the pandemic. They wanted to do something creative. They put this out there. And I kept asking Dan, I said, are there any plans to like maybe tour a little bit behind this? Try to get some, he goes, eh, maybe not. It's hard to go out on tour when when you're in your 50s. If you're not an established band, if you have to do it from scratch, it's, it's a more of a haul. It's a passion it project then. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It was a passion yeah. project. I think it's great that they found the audience and they could still keep growing an audience thanks to supporters like you, Ted. You know, because I think every <laughs> you never know where one person championing you could then put that snowball down the side of the mountain to grow the fan it, base. That's a good so point. I think it's great. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's get to your number five. Okay, Excelsior! That's the way we'll kind of go into number five, and that is Stephen Page, which is, to me, still the heart of the Bare Naked Ladies in terms of where the edge and kind of the wry humor and all that kind of stuff. He hasn't been in the band for a long time, but he has put out some really, really good solo records. When I connected all the dots, the spirit of the 90s is alive, you know, kind of taking a cue from that. (laughs) Remember the first skit in Portlandia? You know, the dream of the nineties. Dream of the nineties in Portland. Portland. Yeah. (laughs) So this is this is my Portlandia little thing. So Stephen Page put out, you know, another really good record called Excelsior. You know, he's really good about putting really fleshed out rhythms and great melodies together with some really biting lyrics. Very inspiring stuff. And so I just can't get enough. I hope someday the Bare Naked Ladies kind of reunite because I think they need each other. But yeah. it's great to see him. He's touring as a trio. He opened up for the Who in Chicago. You know, he's out there doing his thing, you know. So, but then this kind of made me think of all these other ones in the, my top 20 and 30. Jarvis Cocker from Pulp, going to be reuniting with that band, a tour mm-hmm. in 2023, put out his second record as Jarv is called This Is Gonna Hurt, soundtrack to a series from the BBC. Placebo put out a great new record called Never Let Me Go. And then hitting number one in the UK, The Beautiful South spinoff just with Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott, their fifth collaboration album. So it was great to see a lot of bands and sounds from the nineties really connecting here in the 2020s and finding audiences and big audiences. So I recommend all those. Very good. Um, my number five and your number four is actually the same band. So I think we can kind of combine those two. And yeah, it's I'll the, we'll do a little preview. Yeah, we'll talk about sure. them all right now and then I'll go back yeah. to my number five. Yeah. So it's uh it's nervous eaters. And my song is End of the World Girl. I like the album, but this song I keep listening to, I really like it. And I think if there's a Gen X sounding song for 2022, this is it. It's like four on the floor, ballsy guitar and a punkish vibe. Yeah. So for people that may not have heard the previous podcast, so the Nervous Eaters have been around since the CBGB era. Yeah. And so they just kicking and screaming and they've, you know, just never found that mass audience. A couple of times they were racing down the dock and just couldn't get to the boat before it pulled off. Great to see that there's these bands that still have followings, could still play the regional club circuit. And so they got, you know, a really good indie record label to back them for Monsters and Angels. And the thing I love so much about the Nervous Eaters record is... It's just not, you know, 10 of the same songs, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's very diverse. It's a diverse sounding album. So you got some just flat out rockers, some post-punk songs, you know, some darker, some dancey. These guys are all my age, a little bit older, and I love that they can still kick. And so for me, this, my, when I start connecting the dots, you know, there's popular creeps we talked about recently, Mm -hmm. you know, they're from Detroit and librarians with hickeys from Akron, Ohio. Yeah, bigger scale, look at the latest records from Sammy Hagar on The Circle, which includes Michael Anthony from Van Halen, and then the new Ozzy Osbourne record, which, you know, was one of Ozzy's biggest records ever. You patient know, number nine? Was that the name of it? Patient, patient number, number nine. nine. Yeah, yeah, patient number nine is one of a trilogy that's kind of happening. It's the same producer. Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is on all these records. There's like Duff McKagan and Taylor Hawkins is going to be on the upcoming Iggy Pop record. Mm-hmm. Iggy Pop is guesting on the Morrissey record. And so it's interesting that this producer has just basically got all these A-list studio riggers. It's pretty good. backing Ozzy Osbourne, Morrissey, and then Iggy Pop, the same studio ringers. And so it's going to be like this trilogy of albums. <laughs> and the latter two are going to come out in early 2023. 
my number four is a band that uh, you and I talked to, and they are seeing double. And I really, really like their song Bygones. It made my top 10. They're, they're number four. This is the band from upstate New York. It wowed me. The production on the song is pretty lush. The songwriting is sophisticated. The music changes are wonderfully exciting. And it's all the more impressive that they're not even out of college yet. If this is an example of uh, songwriting that the band can do, then I think they have a really promising career ahead of them. And I'm thankful that they reached out and shared their music with me and with you too, Keith, because you were in on the interview. And I found that every time I've shared this song with other folks, they're like, how old are they? I said 20, 21, somewhere in that range. Because wow. And they're writing this? I said, yeah, exactly. And Bygones is a great record, but they also have two other ones called mm-hmm. Leah and Don't Wait that are on their band camp. And those are just as good. And they actually right. don't sound all alike, you know, so it's really great to see that they've got three really solid singles that are available for purchase. You know, you can stream them, download them, the whole nine yards. And so, God, I can't wait to see what they do with an album. So, yeah, they're Me one too. of my favorite bands yeah. of the year. So thanks for we- scoring that one. That was a great. Oh, podcast. yeah, absolutely. Number three, three, three with Keith now. But now we're going to talk about the end of life. You know, so this brings up the weekend, Dawn Mm -hmm. FM, you -hmm. know, and it's really interesting to show how long this year has been because I was so, so, so into this record when it came out and it feels like it was five years ago. (laughs) It's not. It came out this year. So, yeah. Yeah. So it definitely holds up. So imagine Jim Carrey, Quincy Jones and The Weeknd being there for you to usher you into the light. This is kind of, it's a concept album that's basically like, imagine the radio broadcast you're going to listen to as you transition from this world to the next. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was just a complete masterpiece. Each of the songs really just moved me. And then these segues are really deep, kind of talking about the fragility of life and what's next. But here's where I think it really kind of, what it means a lot to me is I'm still mourning the loss of Prince all these years later. And to me, this is the trippiest Prince-style album since Prince's The Gold Experience in 1995. You know, because Prince in the early era always sang about, may you live to see the dawn. You know, and it was this little cryptic clue he put in the liner notes of all of his records that he never paid off. Because when Prince finally put out a record called Welcome to the Dawn, it was a B-side on a single in a (laughs) forgotten era. You know, and like that was really not payoff. Yeah. the Dawn FM pays it off finally. Like this is if this is the album that the, all those cryptic clues sets up, you know. Oh, and so I mean, you live to see the Dawn, Dawn FM. Yeah, yeah. It's just and it's one of those things where everyone's like, well, what's the single? That kind of stuff. Like, no, put this thing on at the beginning and listen to it through the end. It's a completely majestic experience. And I've never really been a big fan of the weekend, but now I get it. You know, the dude is talented. He's got mm-hmm. that arena size or even stadium sized audience. I mean, he's just well-deserved success. And so it's really good to see an artist that's kind of going to continue and take the torch for Prince, you know, not really kind of replicating Prince, but kind of taking the torch for that fan base and leading us into the new decades with great music. So the weekend, absolutely phenomenal. Nicely uh, bookended as it were with the Dawn from Prince and Dawn FM with the weekend. My number three also is about loss. It's from the artist Madison Cunningham, but the song is called life according to Rachel. It's on her latest album that I reviewed on pop dose. It's such a lovely song. What can I say? I can't recommend it enough. It is achingly sad. 
It's about Cunningham's relationship with her grandmother who had died. And she's writing the song that's almost about regret in a way, because as you know, when you're in your twenties, your life is starting out on the path where you're not around your family much, especially for your grandparents who might want to see you and everything around their world revolves around their grandchildren or their children and family's very important. But for whatever reason, you're just not available. And then something happens where, say, a grandparent dies and you have these kind of regrets. Like I didn't see you as much. And you you waited to see if those that car coming down the street was me. And then you held out for as long as you could, hoping that I would come through the hospital door to see you at the end. And it's just this really kind of sad but beautiful song at the same time. And it's uh, the closest analog, I guess, would be like a Sarah McLaughlin song, the one they use about the, the dogs. Instead of weeping over dogs, I think Cunningham makes us weep over our frayed relationships. So uh, that was such a, a lovely song. And I think give it time and it actually kind of grabs you from the get-go, but do give it some time and you'll find that you're kind of drawn into the story and it's, again, kind of sad. But that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a theme that recurs, right? Yeah, that was that, a TED yeah. album for me this year. Yeah. You know, after you first talked about it, I picked up the CD and it's one of the, for me, it's a slow burn, you know, it just yeah. kind of yeah. simmers into your soul. And mm-hmm. so she just did an in-store here in Seattle. And so I was eager to see, like, does she have that fan base? And sure enough, yeah, lying around sure. the block at Easy Street right. Records, you know, really successful performance and signing. And so she definitely got that that crowd. Excellent. It's good to see. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for turning me on to that record. It's very sure, beautiful. Sure, sure. I think your, your number two is probably not going to be as sad as the <laughs> Madison Cunningham song. But, no, but let's next- see where we're going with this. The next two are all about joy. So my number Mm -hmm. one, very young artist, but my number two, this was just such a pleasant surprise. And then you're going to see, I've connected this to a bunch of other records that were also equally surprising and it's altered images, mascara streaks. That band has not been around in 40 years. Everyone knows like the big singles, happy birthday, Mm -hmm. or like the real disco bangers, you know, off the bite record, like don't talk to me about love. And now Mm -hmm. that you're here and, Claire Grogan, you know, she was in Gregory's Girl as an actress, you know, but she sings in such a high falsetto. It's almost the kind of falsetto that only dogs can hear. And so (laughs) kind of an acquired taste, you know, it's kind of a cartoon character type voice, but yet you put her with a really good beats and it's amazing kind of, you know, new wave disco. And so when they said the band was getting back together and they kind of kind of some all-star people kind of helping them out on this record. I, I kind of came into it with low expectations. I'm like, okay, if it's even functional, I'll be happy, you know, because I just love altered images so much. And the fact that production wise is as good or better than anything like the recent amazing albums by Dua Lipa and Jesse Ware and Kylie Minogue, you know, kind of continuing that disco streak that's kind of happening mm-hmm. with modern disco. Right, so right. every single track on the album is high energy, well-produced, complete earworms, absolute euphoria. Like, oh my God, the dopamine rush you're going to get listening to this is just off the charts. It doesn't sound like she has aged a, in a day because ABBA last year put out a record the first right, four years. Right. And that was part of the charm of that ABBA record was, yes, they still sound that classic harmony, but also... They've aged and they're singing from wisdom and experience. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gave the ABBA record some weight where Mascara Streaks literally could have come out in 1984. It sounds classic, but 
but also completely modern. And so that kind of segues to one you turned me on to, another TED record, the Bananarama Masquerade record. Right. Yes. Bananarama. Love Bananarama. Like Masquerade to me is holds up as either as good as like their greatest hits, which is the other CD I have of theirs or even better. Oh my God. So well produced. And then the same thing, another one that came in since we did the last podcast was Betty Boo's boomerang. She had Betty Boo doing the do back in the early nineties. And so the fact that she's kind of put out this new record, the first single samples the human league and creates a complete dance floor banger out of that. The whole thing, it's a very long record, but absolutely amazing as is much shorter record, only 30 minutes, Lightning Seeds, See You in the Stars. Brilliant, brilliant album. It's the first time Ian Brody's put out something in a long time. And then Chick, 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 you know, the three exclamation parts. Right, you know, right. They've never That's gone away. They've that. been around for 20 years now. And so Let It Be Blue, absolutely fantastic record. Just tied together so well. And then not as much a dance record like the other ones, but I do love how Simple Minds, put out a really edgy rock record called direction mm-hmm. of the heart this year. And so it does not sound like their John Hughes era stuff, but you know, it's like, Holy crap, these guys still have it. They sound like a young band. So wrapping it all up, altered images, mascara streaks, my number two. And once again, legacy acts from the eighties, really putting out some of their career best stuff in 2022. I would agree with the altered images assessment you made about her voice that it, for all these years, it's still in the same, roughly in the same range that it was back in the eighties. And that simple minds album, I do like the song human traffic. I think that's quite good. It's a single now, but they also have an acoustic version. So I would uh, encourage people to check that one out as well. So for the early buyers of the record, and now they've formally released it as a separate thing. They put out an EP also doing Un, kind of like unplugged versions of their mm-hmm. previous hits. And I thought that was just going to be nails on a wall, but it actually <laughs> elevate her voice is so good that these new kind of like slowed down, more beautiful versions of their early hits are almost even better than the originals. So, huh. you know, check out the EP that kind of went with it. Hats off to Claire Grogan and the gang for Alter images. So my number two is a band that you introduced me to, Keith. It is Let's Eat Grandma. I thought it was the funniest name, but the song's not that funny, but I really like Happy New Year by Let's Eat Grandma. That came in at number two. And as I said, thank you for introducing me to this band. While their latest album, I think, is is good, I really love this song. It's about a long-term friendship that's kind of on the ropes, but they remind each other of all the important moments in life that have meaning to these old friends. So any acrimony between the two should hopefully evaporate. Plus the song is just a fantastic composition. I think it's something that I put on a playlist and when it would come on, I would always turn it up and I thought, I really like this song. So again, thank you, Keith, for introducing me to Let's Eat Grandma. And for people wondering about the name, you know, Mm -hmm. that's from the meme that was out about the importance of punctuation. You know, so yeah. let's eat grandma, you know, it's like, <laughs> if you're missing that comma, it's a totally different meaning. And so that's where right. that kind of came from. And the same thing with like wet leg, nobody knew what wet leg was about, you know, and that was all about right. People, right. the settlers trying to come in and colonize the Isle of Wright. I hear, I thought it's, you go out at night of pubbing and, uh, well, you have to relieve yourself and you might get a wet leg. That's, that's what, what I, I thought about. it was. <laughs> I kind of took about, if you don't mind me saying, you know, like men yeah. have that problem with a little bit of dribble after you yeah. get your business, you know, that's yeah. where I kind of took it. And yeah. 
yeah, so it was right. fun to see what the original is. I, I highly recommend Let's Eat Grandma because we were kind of go dovetailing back to the beginning of this conversation about new mm-hmm. music. Yeah. And their first records are really weird. But if you spend the time with them and form some neural neural connections to kind of process it, very, very rewarding stuff. And so even though their third album is very kind of more mainstream, their sounds, they can actually have like a festival audience and tour. Really, really fabulous, fabulous records. So I highly yeah. recommend all three yeah. of the Let's Eat Grandma records. Let's Eat Grandma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not Let's Eat Grandma. Right. Okay. And then we, we're at number one with you. Number one. Let's okay. see what you got. Dovetailing to one of the ones you really like the track. So Growing Up by the Linda Lindas. You know, so if people aren't familiar with the band, they kind of went viral. They did a performance at the LA Public Library a couple of years ago. Racist, Sexist Boy is the yeah. name of the song. And so to see these little girls, like all around, I think at the time, the drummer was nine. Like the yeah. eldest person was like 15 at the time. Talking about, you know, this bull, this boy that was friends until the kid's parents said, you can't be friends with an Asian girl. Then they just launch into this ferocious, ferocious punk rock, guttural scream coming from these girls. And the fact is, all four of the girls in the band sing. They all have their very unique fashion styles, which is great because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I hate to say it, the sex kitten sells. Mm-hmm. And so these girls are very cute and adorable, but yet their really edgy, outrageous fashion is just fabulous. Totally true, totally age appropriate. And, you know, they've had the best year ever. They have gone club touring. They've headlined their own shows. They've supported some major acts. They've done huge festivals around the world. I just watched them at a private Iggy Pop concert, front row center as Iggy's singing. I just love that these girls are still in high school and they are having the best year of their lives. They just put out a Christmas single. We're just on Jimmy Kimmel. And they also put out some stuff on some soundtracks, on some charity compilations. Like they're just completely embraced by the music industry. And the Karen O has kind of taken them under her wing from the <laughs> yeah, 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 as they did some touring together. And so the thing is growing up, since all four of them sing, there's a lot of diversity on the 10 tracks on the record. You got some really polished pop records. You got some really guttural, edgy punk, and you got almost everything in between. So if you really like those early Go-Go's records, highly recommend just, yeah, check out the Linda Linda's growing up. I've never had an album deliver so much dopamine to the brain so fast in <laughs> such a, such a good record. Those... And check out their videos on YouTube. The videos are so clever. That opened up your neural pathways with a big old dopamine rush. So it oh, went yeah. to number one. So I'm going to go back for my number one. I'm going back to a band that was very popular in the 1980s. And that's Tears for Fears, who released the album The Tipping Point this year. And I can't stop recommending this record from beginning to end. To me, it is such a fantastic record because it harkens back to the LP era where you would just kind of get lost in the tracks and each track kind of revealed itself in such a way that it may not be a big radio hit, but man, it just seared into my brain as something that I kept coming back to. I listened to this record over and over and over. I got to see them in concert over the summer this year. They did a fantastic show. I I was so impressed with Roland Orzabal's ability to sing not only the stuff from the 1980s 
in the same key, but his voice is so strong on these current songs. Kurt Smith struggled a little bit with the live performance. He was having some throat issues, but his voice kind of warmed up a little bit later in the performance. So that was fine. But this album in itself, I find just fantastic for a late career album by this band. I don't know if they're going to record anymore. Who knows? They may break up after this. They may say, okay, we did our one, our last record, and this is a good one to go out on. And if that's the case, then great. It's a great way to cap off a career. But if they keep going, then I look forward to what they have to uh, release to the public sometime in the future. So yeah, The Tipping Point, my number one album of the year. Every song on there. And I even got the Target edition that uh, Keith recommended. Yeah. So did you listen to the CD or on vinyl? What's your way to process that? CD. I listen to it on CD. I have a record player. I mean, I have one of those uh, techniques, SL 1200s yeah. or whatever that the DJ rigs all have, but I don't have any room in my house to put it in. So I just still have my old CD player from, I think it's probably 1989 still works. And oh, so nice. yeah, I listen to it yeah. on CD. Yes, that's the thing is I think it's a superior format. You know, I talk mm-hmm. about it all the time, but you get the bonus tracks on the target edition still yep. available. I still see it in the stores. And you get the full experience because once you start into it, you don't want to have to pause halfway through to flip to get all the dust and static off the record and to resume the journey and stuff like that. So yeah. I highly recommend that kind of stuff on CD. To me, the Tears for Fears was like the ABBA record last year. We never thought it was going to come. It was after they had kind of broken up with Everyone Loves mm-hmm. a Happy Ending. And so to me, it was like the miracle child, you know, and so I'm very excited <laughs> that they put out that record. And I think it's something that you talked about very early on in this episode, and that's when you referenced the Pitchfork podcast about the way in which music, sometimes when we spend a lot of time with a a particular album, it really does open up those pathways to being receptive to sounds that we may not find very pleasant to begin with. That's the case for this Tears for Fears album. Because I don't really feel like there's big hits off this record, even though they release singles and things like that. They really do pale in comparison to what they released in the 80s. And it it doesn't matter to me. What matters is the quality of the songs, which to me were very, very strong. And the more I spent time with it, the more I realized, wow, these guys are really good what they do. (laughs) You you figure a band puts months, if not years, into a record. And so like, I like the commitment that comes when you buy something. And then Mm -hmm. you stick with it and you fully explore every nuance of it because that's what the artist is kind of intending versus streaming where you just skip around like, okay, if a track doesn't get you in the first 13 seconds, you just literally skip to the next one or put maybe one or two singles in a playlist and be done with it. I love honoring the art of the album and the artist and kind of really appreciating the sequence and how they put everything together. And so... Yeah, that's why I'm still a big champion of the CD format. Absolutely. So let's recap your number 10 to number one in short order. Keith, you go first. What was your number 10? Okay. My number 10, Biba Doobie, Beatopia. Then number nine, Fletcher, Girl of My Dreams. Eight, Flogging Molly's Anthem. Seven, The Cult, Under the Midnight Sun. Six, Tuvalu with Dirt Femme. Five, Stephen Page, Excelsior. Four, The Nervous Eaters, Monsters and Angels. Three, The Weekend, Dawn FM. Two, Altered Images, Mascara Streaks. And at number one, The Linda Lindas with Growing Up. My top 10 is mostly songs, except for the number one spot. Number 10 is Metallica's Lux Eterna. Number nine, Envy of None, Old Strings. Number eight, Manic Street Preachers, Still Snowing in Sapporo. 
The Linda Lindas with O at number seven. Semprini gets a couple of songs put together, put hands in last and best of you. Number five, The Nervous Eaters, the song, End of the World Girl. Seeing Double comes in at number four with Bygones. Madison Cunningham at number three with Life According to Rachel. Number two, Let's Eat, Grandma. Happy New Year. And number one was The Tipping Point by Tears for Fears. What a year we had. Lots of great music and hopefully more great music coming in 2023. So yeah. thank you, Keith, yeah, for uh, spending this year with me. And just as so, so people don't think it's the end of everything, because guess what's already on tap for 2023? I'm going to do this in 10 seconds. Iggy Pop, Ladytron, Metallica, Inhaler, which is Bono's kid putting out their second record. The Cure, Depeche Mode, Smashing Pumpkins, Gorillaz, Niall Haran from One Direction. And then there's also a new Lana Del Rey record. And then there's those Eurovision darlings, Manskin, finally going to come out with their first one since winning Eurovision. And also Sam Ryder, who really slayed at the Taylor Hawkins um, tribute concerts. He was number two on Eurovision this year. Oh my God, wait till that record comes out in a couple of weeks. So we are going to have so much to talk about in January and beyond. So Keith, again, thank you so much for spending this year with me coming on once a month to talk new music with the Pop Dose New Music Report with Keith Creighton. I also want to thank you, the listeners of this podcast. It's because you continue to listen that I keep putting out episodes. So here's to the new year and what's to come. Happy holidays, everyone. I'll be talking to you very soon. <laughs>